Would, would you spend just a minute in prayer with me before we open up our Bibles? Let's, let's pray. Father, we just pause before we open up your word because we recognize that without your Holy Spirit, this word will remain closed and this living word will be dead. And so, Father, we want this word to live to us. And so we just want to pause briefly and say, speak to us. Use even the weak and foolish instrumentality of a, of a man to nevertheless herald the purity of your word of truth and that our joy would be found not in a man or a messenger, but in the message and the truth that's conveyed, the authority that it brings. And so, Father, again, we just plead with you to make your word live to us. We hear so many voices all week long. We hear so much insanity and all this vanity. And it's our prayer, Lord, that you would calm us and still us by the simple and yet profound sound of your voice. Hear us in all of our pleading, not for our sake, but for Jesus' sake. Amen. So as I said uh, this morning, if you were here, I trust that uh, you were here. And if you are not, uh, we are making our way uh, through just a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 13. And so I'd invite you to turn back there in your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians uh, 13 once again. Um, We're not going to read the entire passage. We're only just going to read a shorter uh, amended version of this. We're just going to read down to the end of verse uh, 7, I guess it is. Um, So 1 Corinthians um, 13, beginning at verse 1. I know we just read this, but just uh, good by by way of refreshment. So verse 1 we read, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, what does it say? It says, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words of our text, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. May God be praised and may God help us to live out this familiar word, right? Trust it's familiar. Most of us know this. Man, is this hard to live. And it calls for us to be exercised in the ways of the Spirit so that we might live out our high calling as Christians, because as I was trying to communicate and hopefully did this morning, um, this passage is not about us being moral people. It's not uh, 
about us being good people, upright people, kind people, and, and just nice people, right? That, that, that kind of idea of which, right, of course, we're all supposed to be. But this isn't Paul saying, hey, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just be nice? This is the Apostle Paul saying we need to be Christ followers. We need to be Jesus lovers. We need to be driven in every facet even in mundane life, by the Gospel that has freed us. If it's good news to us, it'll be sung through us and experienced by those around us. So we said there got to be some exercises. And so I've just been trying to use this illustration. Maybe I'm beating it here to death. And Apologies for that, but we said there are these exercises that you got to go through. And, and every one of these exercises, they don't feel good. They're, they're not natural. And, and you'll notice as we come, and I don't know that you want to put a lot of weight on this, no pun intended, because we're talking about you know, lifting weights and everything else, but, but I don't know if you can put a lot of weight in this, but, but when you look at now what we have to look at this afternoon, you see that there's a lot of things that we've got to push away from us. There are a lot of things that we're called to deny. Self-denial. To crucify, to mortify the old man, because these are all reflective of the old man. We need to pull into our lives that which is reflective of the new man, that the peace, the patience, or excuse me, the patience, the kindness. But we're called to push from us, and this is where it gets really difficult, that which comes naturally to us. By nature, most of us are not patient people. You know, well, I was just born a patient person. That's probably not the case for most of us. I'm just kind of naturally kind. Not the case for most of us. But when we come to this second portion of of what we're called to push out of us, now we're pushing away from us the things that are are very native to us, very natural to us. The envy, the boasting, the arrogance, the rudeness, the insistence, the irritability, the resentfulness. These are all things that like, these are things I'm well equipped to do. Become very natural. What does not come natural is pushing it away. Having a resistance to these things in my life. And so with God's help and the time that we have this afternoon, that's what I want to look at with you then, that that second portion. And, And I want you to see if you allow me to kind of even beat this illustration of exercise to death just a a little bit more, because it's only mostly dead at this point, so I want to beat it fully to death um, at this point. Notice, if you will, that there are these kind of um, sets, these kinds of pairings of exercises, these pairings of these, these push exercises that we have. So if you have your Bibles open, look at that second part then of verse 4. The first superset is, is the does not superset. Love does not envy or boast. See how he puts those two together? It's like a superset. Love does not envy or boast. And then we come to another set. And this is an is not set. Love is not what? Is not arrogant or rude. 
And then we come to a third set. This is just a single one. And, and this, is, this, this one's especially tough. And so maybe just, you just need to just focus on this exercise as if to say, love does not insist on its own way. It's a does not exercise. Love does not insist on its own way. The fourth superset is an is not. It, it is not irritable or resentful. And then if you just kind of peek forward, we're, we're not going to get to it, but if you look at verse 6, there's a pairing of the push and the pull. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. See that negative and that positive? It, it, it's pushing away, but it's also pulling in the rejoicing of truth. So we're just going to look at these kinds of sets from the text. So the first one is what? It's a does not set. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Uh, The word for envy here is the Greek word, at least in its origin, in in its root, from which we get the English word for zeal. And zeal is what? It's a it's strong desire. It's a strong passion, if you will, right? If someone's consumed with zeal, like, wow, they're, they're zealous, right? They're, they're worked up. Envy is not something that is light. It's not just this kind of fly away, no big deal kind of emotion that can come over us. It is to be resisted because it comes upon you with a strength that will easily consume you. And this is something that was tearing apart the Corinthian congregation at many levels. Because the Corinthian congregation was not unlike, I suppose, any congregation. You have haves and you have have-nots. You have, you have people who don't have, as it were, a worry in the world. And, and you have people that are overwhelmed and consumed with worry and anxiety. So we just took an offering for the Christian Education Fund, right? So you have, put meat on the bones here a little bit, right? So you have in a congregation... Um, people who absolutely do not struggle to pay Christian education at all. As a matter of fact, that there's like a wing at the local Christian school that's kind of named after them because they donated enough money just for that wing, right? There it is. And you have other people in the church that can barely afford, maybe can't even afford, one of their children's tuition payment, let alone all four of them or all five of them or all six of them, whatever it might be. You have in one church someone who can barely pay the mortgage on their little starter home in a little startup community. That's not really desirable in church. And you have someone else that has many homes that they have fingers on one hand. You're like, do those people really exist? Yeah, those people really exist. In our churches? Yes, in our churches. Both sides. And what can easily and very quickly develop in a church where you have people that have a whole lot of stuff, not a worry in the world, and other people who can't even figure out how to pay for one child's Christian education, let alone all your children's Christian education, envy can very quickly pull at the fabric of the church. 
and the fellowship of the church. Because especially if you're more leaning on the side of the have-nots, you're like, well, what do those people know about my struggles? What do those people know about, about where I live? What do, what do they know about, about just like trying to barely make it by and to, to scrape all the loose change together just to try to figure out how, how we're going to pay for this and pay for that? You ever do that in your house? You probably maybe have a little jar or something like that. You throw the spare change in. You ever, ever go around your house looking for all the spare change because you've got to cash it in because you don't have a whole lot of cash? And like, well, the change adds up and we need the change. And you bring that into the life of the church and what happens? It begins to tear at the fabric of the koinonia of the body. Because you have one side of the church resenting the other side of the church. The haves versus the have-nots. And that jealousy was tearing apart the church in Corinth. Because that's what jealousy does. Jealousy doesn't build. It destroys. And it drove a wedge between those who had and those who didn't. Instead of those who didn't celebrating the fact that God entrusted those resources to these people and, and, and being happy for the blessings that the Lord had given them and being content with the blessing that the Lord gave them, the church became just like every other social institution. Where you gossip and you're envious and you're jealous. And something good happens for someone, but you can't be happy for them because you use that as an opportunity to go, well, my life stinks. My life's no good. And it creates a discontentment that goes back to God. God, what do you think you're doing? Love does not envy. pushes that out of your life and recognizes the destructive nature and says, I will not give in to that. Notice there's a flip side though, right? These two ideas are, are together. What does the text say? Love does not envy or boast. It puts these kinds of push exercises together. Again, if, if the poor folks in Corinth struggled uniquely perhaps from where they are with, with envy, those who were the haves could have struggled uniquely with boasting, with flaunting. And so you see what this means. Paul is saying to each person who each is living in a different place, don't be a provocation to one another for sin, but provoke one another to love. You see what this does? It forces us to look differently at life as community. That my life is not ultimately about me. And so, well, I have all this stuff and I'm just going to parade it around and, and I don't care. If you envy, that's your problem. Well, no, if you're boasting, that's your problem. And the problem is we need to look at life differently. There is something wonderfully complementary about this passage. 
that you have different parts of the church recognizing that there are going to be different struggles and temptations, and instead of provoking one another to sin with envy or with boasting, you're provoking one another in love to build community. You see, love looks out for the weaker. It goes out of its way to not needlessly and sinfully provoke others. In other words, it's careful in how it lives. It lives with an eye on God's love so that we know how to do neighbor love. When Paul says love does not envy or boast, He's not saying, I'm in the camp of the haves or I'm in the camp of the have-nots. He rather says, it's a two-way street. We've been brought together to use these gifts together in the koinonia, the fellowship of the church that will only be protected with love. Love does not envy. It does not boast. We do envy and we do boast. (laughs) Very native to us. And that's why love pushes that away as we look to the one who has given us all that we have. The next superset is an is not superset. Love is not arrogant or rude. Arrogance, in other words, pride, a sense of self-accomplishment. Love is not arrogant. Look at, uh, look at uh, chapter 10, if you will. If you have your Bibles open, look at, look at chapter 10, verse, verse 12. N- notice what the Apostle says here to the Corinthians. Chapter 10, verse 12. He says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. What was one of the significant challenges that the Corinthian congregation was facing? It was arrogance. This sense of arrival, this sense of pride, this sense of accomplishment that we are not like the other people, which is not just financial at this point, like, like we have a lot of stuff. It's not that kind of pride or arrogance per se. 1 Corinthians 4 talks about the fact that they were puffed up with knowledge. We've arrived. We know. We have gnosis. We we are intelligent when it comes to this kind of stuff. And Paul says, that's not love. That's not love. If we were saved by unconditional love that flowed into us, then that unconditional love needs to flow out of us. It, It isn't arrogant. Because everything that we have is from Christ. There's no place for pride. So we we push this out of our lives when we remember who it is that is our life. But then notice the the second pairing exercise in this is what? It says love is not rude. Love is not rude. Other translations say love does not dishonor others. Love is not does not behave rudely. So easy to be exactly that today, isn't it? We live in a culture and society that has all but forgotten what it means to be polite, 
from the way we communicate, the comments that we leave, the interactions that we have, the way we drive. Um, there, there is a mean-spiritedness that, that is just a, a part of the air, it seems, that we breathe in. I'm no prophet, but, but it's not getting any better. Right? Peaceful dialogue and interaction is, is all but left us. You see it everywhere in the most distinguished institutions that we have in our nation. Just a crassness and a rudeness. J.B. Phillips paraphrases it this way, love has good manners. He puts it in a positive, right? He goes, love has good manners. I, I like what John MacArthur says. He says, love rejects bad manners. And, and here's the reason why I, I, I like this and appreciate this. Because love doesn't just show itself kind of up here in the cerebral and the, the ethereal and the theological and, and the ivory tower stuff of, of theological academia and, and, and kind of the ecclesiastical world that, that is the church, right? It's here. It's in the simple manners of our life. The manner in which we speak to each other. The tone the word choice, the actions. Paul says in the most mundane thing, love is not rude. Love does not allow the messenger to get in the way of the message. Man, do we need to hear that. And show our otherness not because we're nice, not because we're moral, because we're Christians. Because our Savior isn't flippant with us. He's not rude to us. He doesn't just dismiss us. You morons, get out of my way. I have no time for you. No, He's kind. So love is not rude. The next set is not really even a set it's just it's a single set of what and this is a tough one love does not insist on its own way church life is not an easy life if everyone here is insisting on their own way Church life is miserable. Leadership, right? We just installed an elder and deacons. We have elders and deacons. Church life is miserable when everyone is insisting on their own way because everyone's right in their own eyes. Family life is not easy if everyone is constantly insisting on their own way, right? So, so imagine the scenario, right? Because I said, right, this kind of stuff, this bad stuff, this negative stuff comes naturally to us, right? So imagine the scenario. Mom says, hey kids, not cooking tonight. Not cooking tonight. We're going out to eat. Where do you guys want to go? Dangerous question, isn't it, moms? That's a dangerous question. Where do you want to go? So, Johnny says, we're going to Max. 
Mac Daddy, we're going there. Max, that's my, my vote's McDonald's. Okay, Susie? Well, Chick-fil-A, duh, it's just down the road. We're not like those people in Kalamazoo, or Kalamazoo, I live in Hudsonville. We're not like the people in Hudsonville that have to travel to get to Chick-fil-A. It's just down the road from us. I say we go to Chick-fil-A. And, and, and Jimmy, of course, he goes, we're running for the border. You know what that means. We're going to Taco Bell, which means you're going to have issues later on in the night, but fine, we're going to Taco Bell nevertheless. Okay? So now what happens? Mom goes, well, we just went to McDonald's, and Susie, I love you, but Chick-fil-A is just down the road. We can go there anytime. So, all right, Jimmy, we're running for the border. Now, in the next two seconds, what happens? You know what happens. Jimmy's doing a touchdown dance, getting his taco sauce out, because we're going to Taco Bell, and Susie and Johnny are what? They're mopey. They're grumpy. Why are you grumpy? We're going out to eat. We never go out to eat. Yeah, because we're not going to McDonald's. I want to go to McDonald's. I want to go to Chick-fil-A. I don't like this. We're going out to eat. What are you whining about? I don't like Taco Bell. Right? It doesn't, it's not like, oh, Jimmy, excellent choice. I didn't think of Taco Bell. Great choice. I would have liked Chick-fil-A, but I will gladly yield to the Taco Bell selection. Right? Probably not like that in your house. Wasn't like that in my house. And that silly little illustration that you know well. That's why some smiles even. You know it. That can so often be the church. And that's why ministry can be so, so challenging and difficult. Because there are going to be times when you're going to be asked by your leaders to not surrender gospel principles, to not compromise on confessional convictions, and submit. And the impulse of your nature is going to be like the child. Don't mean to be insulting. Just calling it out. I'm calling me out too. To be like the child who didn't get his way. And now you're going to punish everyone. Love does not insist on its own way. And do you know how many churches have been destroyed? Because one of the most familiar passages in Scripture that sometimes we even roll our eyes when we read it, like, he's reading the love chapter again. We have not graduated from 101. And we think that we're in advanced learning. So many churches so many have lost it right here. Love does not insist on its own way. Which isn't to say that you have the situation. Go back to the illustration. Mom's not cooking. Where do you guys want to go for dinner? Oh, well, I want Taco Bell, but no, I insist, Susie, you go. 
no, 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 Johnny, you go. No, Jimmy, by all means, you go. And you get into this big battle like, no, not me, you. No, not me, you. And like, no, of course, have a choice. Throw the name in the hat. But when it doesn't come out to be yours, all right, maybe next time. I can submit to that. I'm not being asked to compromise anything at all. I'm good. I would have preferred Chick-fil-A because I live in Hudsonville, but there you go. We want to talk about. It's all good. See how that works? And to see how differently community becomes when that becomes the ethos of who we are. This is one of the tough ones. Maybe that's why he makes it a single one. But we have to go on. Last superset that we have here is what? It's an is not. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love is not irritable. Love is not easily angered. Is another way of, of translating this. Love is not easily angered. I think that's helpful because there's a time when love is angry. There is such a thing as righteous anger. There's a time when anger is the righteous response, the godly emotion. But love is not easily angered. It's not just, well, well, there was a sin committed against me, a wrong done to me, so I get to fly off the handle and just get to act however I want because that's a sin. And like, now here I go. This is my, my liberty and license to just be as angry as I want. No, because love covers a multitude of sins. Not all of them, but a multitude of them. And so love pushes back on anger because it is almost always not righteous. It's not born in a zeal for God's glory, but oftentimes birthed from wounded pride. Or anger is birthed because I, I skip leg day. I, I, I skip the, the pull exercises because I'm not pulling into my life patience and kindness as a result of that. Now what do I got? I got a problem with anger because I'm not pulling, I'm not pushing. And you flip it on its head. Love is not easily angered. It resists this. Then what do we read? Love is not resentful. I, I actually prefer that the NIV's translation at this point. Um, it's how I originally learned it and how it's kind of stuck with me over the, over the years. But, but love keeps no record of wrongs. Love refuses to keep a record of wrongs. Love does not stuff and file away a record book of all the times this person did this to me and that to me and color the way that I look at them. And do you know why that's so heinous? And, and I use that word, I, I think it's a strong word, heinous. I think that's a strong word. And I, I use that as a strong word, heinous. This is heinous because the Father doesn't look at you like this. Our Father doesn't look at us colored by every wicked thought that we had, every wicked thing we've ever done, every sin that we've committed. He sees you tonight if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He sees you tonight through the purity of Jesus Christ, not through the record of wrongs that you have done. And believe you me, there is a record 
right? It's a long one. It's not that there couldn't be a record. There definitely could be a record. It's that he's cast that into the sea of remember no more. You've heard of the sea of remember no more? Well, that's where he's cast your sins. Speaking of Corey Tenboom, I like Corey Tenboom's quote on this. The Lord has taken all of your sins, he's cast them into a bottomless sea, and he's put at the shore of that sea a sign that says, No fishing. Amen? This is no fishing. Don't see yourself through those sins. Because God doesn't see you through those sins. He sees you in the purity and the righteousness of Jesus that clothes you. He keeps no record of wrongs. Don't put a little asterisk by you. And yet we're going to keep a record of wrongs? You go, well, what are we supposed to do? Just ignore the wrong? No. As much as is possible, you're called to live at peace. So if you can right the wrong, write it. Address it if possible. If not, leave it to the Lord. When we don't leave it to the Lord, then we keep it with us. And we try and take what only the Lord can do to ourselves. And we make horrible gods. And because we make horrible gods, the bitterness that we cannot, we cannot correct the wrong, we cannot right the wrong, it results in a bitterness that eats us up. And it makes for a horrible existence. And it seeps into every facet of our lives. So we're holding the folder of resentment for what that person did. But it ends up being the people in my life that suffer. We have to stop trying to be God. We need to choose the better way and get that push muscle in shape. The hard thing about all of this is if this is what love is, in so many ways I see a reflection of what I am not. And this exposure is not meant to bring us to a place of guilt. This exposure is meant to bring us to a place of love for Christ. Who in love for Christ, we seek to live for Him and grow in Him and come before Him to confess. To say, I've been so unloving and yet so self-loving. Forgive me. Remind me that You keep no record of wrongs. Teach me, Lord. Teach me to to not give in to my anger, to not give in to my bitterness, to not give in to my resentment of others, my envy and jealousy of others. Teach me to not deny Your goodness to my, me by, by, by coveting what other people have. Allow me to not be boastful. See that You're the captain of my salvation. Right? We have to use this text as a call to prayer. So that coming off of our knees, we would better live in His world for His glory and for the well-being of our neighbor. So let's do just that. Let's come to our God and just pray. Father God, we just throw ourselves at Your throne of grace. 
for being honest, we, we read these words and we have brought to mind all the times that we have been arrogant and rude. The destruction that's come into so many of our relationships when it's all about self-love and insisting on our own way. We hear the word irritable and easy anger and think of the relationships with our spouses, our parents, our children. The record of wrongs. The file folders we've been carrying around for a long time. We've got the goods on so many people. And yet the one before whom we come in prayer, you have the goods on us instead of bringing that against us. You have covered it for us. And the sufficiency of Jesus. And so, Father, we want to live lives of praise and honor to You. We don't want to go into this week white-knuckling it, just trying to do our best. We want to go into this week celebrating the fact that we are united to Jesus Christ. We are forgiven of all of our sins. We want to go into this week and celebrate Your goodness and Your kindness by showing that love in the pull and the push of this Word that You have given to us. There is so much here. And it can sound and feel overwhelming. But You are the one by Your Spirit who can minister to us exactly what we need, when we need it, how we need it. And so just take this Word, Lord, and refine our lives and polish us so that more and more would be reflected from us the One who is within us. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.